So today's question is, how do you make your father happy? And you might think, oh, dads, they, most dads, if you ask them, hey, dad, what do you want for Father's Day? At least in my house, it's like, oh, nothing. Don't spend any money. Uh, nothing. I'm fine. You know, totally, you know, self-reliant, totally independent. I'm good. Just move on. It's another day. No big deal. That's all hogwash because we need encouragement, dads. We've got a tough job. And I looked for like the top three, top five, top four ways to make dad's happy in the U.S. And forget the U.S. I found my favorite list on how to make a dad happy from Pakistan. Check this out. I really liked it. Top five ways to make your dad, dad happy. Number one, give him time. Just give him some time today. Give him some time. Don't clock watch, but give him some time. Spend some quality time with him. In fact, this, this, this guy argues for giving him an hour a day. Hour a day of time? That sounds awesome, especially if we're doing yard work or cleaning the garage. Number two, ask him for advice. Dads like to be asked for advice. Ask him for advice and be okay with, with, with his advice feeling a little contrary to how you think. In fact, ask a probing question. Why, Dad, do you think that way? Why is it seems like you really value this integrity or you really value this hard work? Or you really value good stewardship of property or good stewardship of finances? Why do you think that way? Ask him that follow-up question. You'll get to know his values. Thirdly, make him feel special. Make him feel special. Here's a few ideas. Have special days for him. Invite his friends to show up for his birthday party. Send him on his favorite recreational vacation or, rec- or recreational activity like swimming, golf, and chatting with friends. Number four, respect his value and most expensive. Send him on his favorite recreational vacation. Number four, respect his values. You might not embrace them all, but you should probably think hard about embracing his top two values. Ask him, hey, what do you value? They're the top two values. Maybe he'll say something like treasuring your mom. Oh, he will say something like that. Maybe he'll say something like, I value dad, and really honoring God in everything that I do. Ask him why. Why is that such a high value, dad? And let him, let him unfold it for you, and, and perhaps you'll say, I want to have that value as well. And then lastly, share his burden. Share his burden. There's a lot of responsibility as being a father. You want to provide for your family. You want to protect your family. You want to make certain that you're, you're holding down the family values, whether they're written down or they're understood. You want to make certain that your, your kids get opportunities to grow and develop. And as, as we get older as dads, we lose control. We have to give away our children. And at the same time, we want to continue to prayerfully see them continue to develop and grow. There's a burden there. And what you can do as you get older is absorb the burden. Offer to help in some way. In fact, offer what you can do, what the best service you can do to your dad. What can you do to help your dad out? So those are a few steps to make your dad happy. Dad's being happy is important. Being a dad in America is tougher than it ever has been. So many different cultural values at war. Uh, So much pressure sometimes. The cost of living's going up. Um, there's a lot of pressure, and so dads need encouragement because we don't want dads to lose heart. There's no fun losing heart. No one wants to lose heart. And for that matter, we don't want any of our friends, coworkers, or family, or neighbors to lose heart. And so today's message from John chapter 4 really speaks to how we can kind of uphold the hearts of others closest to us, how we can ensure people matter around us because Jesus was very deliberate about this. There were three big ideas about how Jesus, 
how Jesus really made people happy. I think you can learn from him today. I'm honored to be with my firstborn son, the fullness of my strength, Max Matthews. Would you welcome him? Thank you. So we're going to start off by reading our passage. Um, and if you could, please, when it's highlighted in red, let's all say it. It'll, be, it'll sound awesome. Um, so, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat, sat down, down by, by the, the well. well. It, it was, was about, about noon. noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will, Will you, you give, give me, me a, a drink? drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Then the Samaritan woman said to him, or the Samaritan woman said to him, You, you are a Jew, and, and I am a Samaritan, Samaritan woman. woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If, if you, you knew the, the gift of God and, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Sorry. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the woman and, and the man you now have is not your husband. Thank you. <laughs> what, what you, you have, have just said, said is, is quite, quite true. true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship, worship the, the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for our salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so we're going to unwrap three big ideas that have general application to how you can ensure that people around you don't lose heart, that people around you feel loved deliberately. This could apply to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. However, there's application here to make our fathers happy. We'll give you two or three action steps that you could consider today. Three big ideas. The first, take deliberate detours. So, we see that Jesus made, he made this woman a priority. He took time to talk to her when he was probably exhausted. Uh, it says that it was about noon, which is probably the hottest time of the day, the, and he had been walking a significant amount of time. So he, at this point, was the last, like for me personally, the last thing I would want to do is go and talk to somebody. Um, and so my question, how many people here know that it's not easy to make people a priority? Anybody? Like, for, for example, for me personally, 
I'll see, I mean, we live in the same area that we went to high school in, me and my wife. And so there will be a lot of times there's people you somewhat know. And if you see them, like, at the grocery store or something, it's almost, like, overwhelming. It's like, oh, man, I'm, am I going to have to talk to this person? And, um, and, 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 and being honest, but, I mean, it's not, not the best thing necessarily. Um, and so sometimes I'll even catch myself. I mean, sometimes I, I will talk to them, you know, I'll do the right thing. But sometimes I'll catch myself even, you know, deliberately going out of my way to not talk to them. You know, where to find a way, oh, well, maybe I'll go look at shopping in this area first. Um, so it's something I'm, you know, God's working on my heart. I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. Um, but this is one area that my dad has done, really, or set a great example in, I think. Uh, I can remember times where we would go, as, you know, Saturday morning, we would go to the donut shop as a family. Uh, not, like, you know, frequently, but often enough that I can remember it. And... Um, we would go there, and we would be like, we'd pick out our donuts, and we would be, we'd, you know, have all paid, be ready to leave. And, and then we would be, and we'd, my dad would be, like, talking to someone. And we're like, Dad, who is this? You know, like, do you, you know, my 12-year-old self is thinking, like, how do you even know this person? Um, and it was because frequently my dad would make people a priority. And so at the time, it was almost an inconvenience because I just wanted to go and, you know, eat my donuts and get on with my Saturday playing video games or whatever. And my dad was taking the time to make people a priority, showing that people matter. So it's something that I appreciate, and looking back, I can see uh, as something I want to be like, whereas naturally, I can, be, I can tend to be introverted at times. And so introversion is something that we also see in Latvia, not to make, you know, like our... So in a comic book produced, this is an example um, that I think you might like. So... In a comic book produced by the organization Latvian Literature for the recent London Book Fair, the main character gives a rare rare smile on realizing that the weather outside is perfect. That is, it's heavily snowing. Thus, he's unlikely to meet anyone out on the roads. As he says, below zero equals below average risk of a random encounter. The comic is part of Latvian literature's I Am Introvert campaign to celebrate and affectionately make fun of a kind of social reserve that Anit Konsti, a Latvian publicist and writer who devised the campaign, sees as very representative of her nation. I don't think our campaign is an exaggeration at all, she said. In reality, it's even worse. It's hot. He's clearly thirsty. And he is God's tour guide, or he's... He is God who is the tour guide, and he's finally getting some moments to sit alone. You know, we see that his disciples have gone to buy food. And he takes the time to talk to somebody who is mar- a marginalized person, someone who may feel shame. Um, some commentators suggest that that's why she's going, you know, in the middle of the day when no one else is going, is because she doesn't necessarily want to be around other people. She might be more like me at the grocery store, where she wants to just go and not talk to anyone. Um, but we see an example where Jesus' de, Jesus detour was intentional. Uh, our first point is, or subpoint, detour through divine interruption. And kind of the point here is that this woman wasn't looking for Jesus. She wasn't looking for anyone. But Jesus was looking for her. And kind of the, what we can draw from it is that if you want to reach Samaritans, you have to go to Samaria. You can't go you know, somewhere else and expect to see somebody that's marginalized if you're in a place where there's no one marginalized. You have to seek these people out. And in the same way, before we met Jesus, all we wanted was water. But Jesus came after us and sought us. Our second subpoint is detour to people and places others avoid, which is what we see in Samaria. Um, 
there's, there was kind of this tension that we see in John 3 that you guys might remember from last week, where there was John, uh, not the disciple John, but the, um, the prophet John, uh, John the Baptist, and he had, you know, been raising, he had been baptizing people, and there was kind of this point where his disciples came to him and said, hey, this guy Jesus is baptizing more people than you, and John's response was that, you know, basically he must increase, I must decrease, kind of presenting himself in a position of humility that he was, you know, the friend of the bridegroom, and whereas Jesus was the bridegroom. And, but there was still this tension among the Jews, and so by going through Samaria, he was able, essentially it was almost safe for him to take this detour because he wasn't going to risk seeing that tension. Um, the Jews, and there was... Uh, zero possibility that the that the Pharisees, you know, people who were against Jesus, would be there, because there was there was almost an uncleanness related to the Samaritans. There was about roughly, hopefully, I don't totally butcher this. About 700 BC is when there was almost this collision where the northern like 10 tribes of Israel were almost forced to live with these pagan cultures, essentially, and the Jews pride their ancestry and their bloodline. And they're commanded not to intermarry with people of other cultures, people who, you know, don't worship God. And so there were people who did, there were those among the Jews who didn't obey that, and those became the Samaritans, the people who had intermarried. So kind of an interesting point. And so kind of like, but kind of like we see Joseph or Jesus here in Samaria, Joseph with the Egyptians, David with the Philistines, Jesus is actually at peace with the Samaritans because they don't know him. He can kind of just be himself and relax, and he doesn't have to worry about all this tension that had built up. So we want to, you know, from this point, we want to challenge you, kind of with our, our third Father's Day idea, make him feel special, to try to take a deliberate detour as it relates to your father, potentially, or somebody maybe who's like a father figure in your life. Um, you know, it's not always easy to show people you appreciate them or to, to do things for them that they would, would make them feel special. But I want to challenge you, and we want to challenge you to plan, even if not today, to make a deliberate detour to show somebody that you love them. Love it. It's good. Thank you, Max. Second is have dangerous conversations. Have dangerous conversations. And do so balanced with truth and grace. You know, we've heard that Uh, Grace without truth is boring and meaningless. Truth without grace is hurtful. Jesus had both truth and grace. And he has a conversation with this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well that breaks three different barriers. It breaks a racial barrier. It breaks a sexist barrier. And it breaks a... A shame barrier. Thank you, Max. And these barriers are so relevant to modern-day culture. Um, Jesus Jesus engages this Samaritan woman to the surprise of his disciples. It reminds me of what was in the news last week. We have uh, Miss Israel... Last week, Miss Israel got connected to Miss Iraq, and so they were at a convention in Israel, and Miss Iraq actually took the initiative to go up and have a conversation with Miss Israel. 
Now, you might think, oh, how sweet, two beautiful Middle Eastern women connecting. But what you might not remember is that their countries, some of the generations of their countries, even some of the political leaders of their country, don't like each other, and that's an understatement that has lasted for millennia. And so governing authorities actually asked Miss Iraq, who's on your right, to take down her uh, selfie image that was posted on Instagram, and she refused. Authorities and people within the country started threatening her family, and it heated so much that her family in Iraq had to move. Here's my point. You know you're breaking a racial barrier when people get angry and elevated. And so if you're getting in trouble for reaching out, it's probably a good indicator because just as Jesus was persecuted for this, so you'll be persecuted for this. I, I almost wonder if Miss Iraq was a Christian. You know, there's quite a Christian movement that came out of the wars in Iraq, and I can't help but wonder uh, her. She sets a great example of breaking a racial barrier just like Jesus is doing. Do you have racist tendencies? Is there a barrier perhaps the Spirit is asking you to break that Jesus has broken? Have dangerous conversations. That's what Miss Iraq did with Miss Israel. Secondly, Jesus breaks the sexist barrier. Jesus empowers this woman to be the witness and evangelist to her own town. She sees herself as being marginalized. Jesus sees her as having tremendous potential to reach her small community and her village. You may have seen it in the quotes earlier, but Rick Warren says that Jesus didn't just reach the marginalized, he moved the margins. Jesus didn't just set out to reach people who were stigmatized or marginalized in culture, he actually moved the margins themselves and created a lot of tension by doing that. Don't hesitate to move the margins in your own life as it relates to racism, but also as it relates to sexism. Do you know in the first century, a woman's testimony would not be held up in a court of law. And yet he empowers this woman to go to her home community and tell everyone that they've met, she thinks she's met the Messiah. And they conclude not just based on her testimony, but based on everything they learned from Jesus personally, that he's the savior of the world. A community that that had been marginalized by race Jesus broke through by empowering this woman who otherwise may not have felt very valued, empowered her to reach her own community. Ladies, does God want to use you in a more dramatic way? Her acronym here to reach the people you're surrounded by, by sharing your story. She truly followed our acronym here at Adventure. She shared her story and it influenced others. Jesus wants ladies to use you on the same level. How many of you saw the royal wedding a few weeks ago? Anybody see that? with Duchess Markle and Harry. Did I get that right, Harry, Harry, Harry? One of the most inspiring stories I heard over the week was about Meghan Markle when she was 11 years old living in Canoga Park, Los Angeles. Did you hear the story? When Meghan Markle was 11 years old, she encouraged Procter & Gamble to change the tagline to an advertisement for dishwashing liquid. When she was 11, according to a speech she gave at the U.N., on Women's Day in 2015. In the speech, she described seeing a TV commercial in school for Procter & Gamble dishwashing soap whose tagline claimed, women all over America are fighting fighting greasy pots and pans. 
after two male classmates made a joke about how women belong in the kitchen, Markle became frustrated. Quote, I remember feeling shocked and angry and also just feeling so hurt. It just wasn't right and something needed to be done, she said in her speech. She told her father about the incident and he encouraged Markle to make her voice heard. He, she says of her dad, he encouraged me to write letters, so I did, to the most powerful people I can think of, which included Hillary Clinton and Gloria Alfred, journalist, uh, attorney Gloria Alfred and journalist Linda Ellerly and Procter & Gamble. About a month later, Procter & Gamble made the tagline gender neutral, changing women all over America to people all over America. This is way before she met Harry. A young Markle explains the incident in 1993. There's a video, actually, that you can see her at age 11 online responding to this article. What's the application here? Jesus wants to break sexist barriers. He has been doing it to let him use them. You know, in heaven, there's going to be no male or female. And there are guidelines in Scripture of how we're to interact as genders. I mean, we still are male and female. There's a lot of freedom about how Jesus wants to use women in his church and in the community. He, he wants to avoid stereotyping Sexist stereotyping. And he, he breaks a major barrier here of sexism, as we call it. And then lastly, I think th- the third barrier he breaks through is the shame barrier. I mean, they had this conversation, and Jesus just said, hey, go call your husband, which honestly I think is a very appropriate thing for him to do. They're having kind of a, a close conversation, an intimate conversation. And if you're having a conversation with a married woman it's getting kind of close, it's, it's good to involve her husband. Fellas, Amen. Right, you don't want to get too close. And so he's like, hey, go call your husband. But here's the deal. Just like he knew Nathaniel, and just like Jesus saw Nathaniel at the tree before they ever met, he knew her bio. Go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And he says what he says. He speaks to the truth. He, He doesn't completely just deny, but he does it with such high relational intelligence. He's protecting her. He's kind of like, the sons of Noah who caught their dad naked in a tent. Do you remember that? And they, they protected their dad. They covered him. They protected their dad's shame and embarrassment. In the same way, Jesus protected this woman. But he didn't. He didn't completely remove. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. It wasn't absent of truth. Because grace without truth has no meaning. But grace and truth, that's what Jesus came to bring. And she responds and she says, I see you were a prophet. Boy, is there someone in your life that you need to deliberately break through a barrier of race, of sexism, or of shame? Is there someone out there that the Spirit's bringing to mind now that that you judge because of their race, or you judge because of their ability because of their gender, or you judge because of their past? Jesus broke through those barriers And so what we're asking you to do is move your margins. Follow Jesus' example and move your margins by breaking through a racial, sexist, or shame barrier. Here's the father's idea that I shared earlier. Go to your dad and ask him for advice. Ask him why, ask him about his values. Dad, say this at lunch today when you're at Ruth's Crisp paying the meal for your dad. Say, Dad, what are the top two values in your life? What 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 are your top two values? And ask that of your, of your stepdad, if you get to be with him. 
He loves you deeply, just as I love my children, my daughter-in-law who's here today. Ask him, top two values, and why? He'll, he'll love the, that question. And then the other question I have for you is this. Is there someone with whom you need to have a dangerous conversation that you put off? I think our nature, our default nature, is to have a dangerous conversation about somebody instead of with somebody. We're good at that. Maybe you didn't hear that. We're really gifted at having dangerous conversations, but they're about somebody. They're not with them. So let's have them with them because, honestly, that's where the spiritual food's at. Jesus will speak to that here in a moment. And if you don't know how to do it, you learn to ask a great question. And if you still don't know how to do it, you ask Jesus for the truth and grace EQ, the truth and grace relational intelligence to have the conversation in a way that's loving. Amen? Jesus had deliberate, dangerous conversations. So our first point, Jesus, or our first point is to take deliberate detours. Our second was to have dangerous conversations. And our third is ditch dead religion. And it kind of comes from the idea that Jesus brings up in verses 19 to 26 of worshiping in spirit and in truth. Um, And so the idea of dead religion, in a way, it sounds almost like a faux pas, like what is dead religion? Um, And for me, I kind of think of when, when I was a freshman in high school, I played football all throughout high school. And my freshman year, I was a decent player. And there's no playoffs for the freshman year, right? Like literally zero chance I would play. Like if I were to play, it would be, there would have had to be like a tragic amount of injuries to the team. Like it was, you know, doing all the right things. So I was, you know, I showed up to practice every day for the varsity team, even though I wasn't fully, like there was no, I mean, even though I knew I wasn't going to play, but I still did, showed up to practice, watched film, you know, lifted weights where I needed to. And we made, we ended up, going all the way to the section championship. So I was kind of at the end of my, I was kind of burnt out at that point. We start, in high school, you start football in the spring, and it's kind of intermittent in the summer, and then you go all through the fall. So it was like November at this point, and I was like just burnt out. I was ready for it to be over. And my heart wasn't totally in it at that point, because it wasn't, it wasn't really my team. And so we made it to the section championship, and we ended up with a tragic overtime loss by throwing an interception on like in like the red zone essentially and so it was it was super rough people on the team were heartbroken you know guys who I look up to at that point are you know juniors and seniors and they're like in tears you know bawling their eyes out and if you look at me you wouldn't even know that we had lost the game you might have thought we had won because I was just like I just didn't really care that much um and so that in in my mind that's an example of dead religion because I was like I was doing all the right things, you know, but I was kind of going through the motions. It didn't, there wasn't really any deeper meaning to me in it. And so let's contrast this with an example of a game my sophomore year. So back to my freshman year real quick. We played this team called Wood Creek High School. Wood Creek High School was in the SFL, the Sierra Foothill League, and that's one of the more premier leagues in this greater Sacramento region, whereas Intercom, where I played, is in the TCC Tri-County Conference, which is not one of the premier leagues in the area. In, in some ways, people will say that part of the reason Intercom will do well is because they're in the Tri-County Conference, that it's like five free wins, essentially. Um, no offense to anyone who's from anybody, any other teams in the Tri-County Conference. But the point being, though, is that it was a great chance playing Wood Creek. I was like, okay, I get to prove myself against this, you know, this better competition, essentially. 
And so freshman year, we lost the game, right? We lost pretty badly, um, and so that was rough for me. So we played them again my sophomore year, and I had had this game circled on my calendar mentally for the entire year. I was, when it came to that week of the game, I was like locked in, you know, doing everything possible. I eat, sleeping, and breathing, getting ready to play against Wood Creek, right? And so when we played, we lost this game fairly decisively. I want to say it was like seven or ten points. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't hope of a last-second touchdown or anything. Like, it was, when we lost, it was over. And I was absolutely heartbroken. I was, like, crying, bawling my eyes out. And it was, it was really hard for me. It was, it was hard. It's still hard today, actually. Um, <laughs> and um, the, the difference, though, in these is that the second, even though I did all the same things, my, this JV game, which who, no one even really cares about JV. You only go to J, a JV game if you know someone on the team personally. Like, literally, no one really cares about it. All right, we, we may have some players. Yeah, <laughs> if you're on JV, I, I feel your pain. Um, and so, anyway, but I cared about it. You know, I was all in. And that's what I want to say. That's kind of what I want to draw to worshiping in spirit, is that not only are we doing the right things, but our heart is fully in it. And that's one thing that can be kind of challenging, especially if you're somebody who is doing all the right things. You know, you could be in a position of, you know, re- you know reading your Bible every day. You could be serving. You could be making sure you're always at church. Um, you could be involved in other ministries. And those are all great things that I believe that we should, as Christians, strive to do. But sometimes it can be easy to get to a point where we're just checking the boxes and going through the motions, and we're not, you know, fully in it. We may not, our heart may not be fully in it. And it can, I think it can even be seasonal as well, where there can be times where it gets to where you're just, you know, you're checking the boxes. Um, and as far as the, the point for this I want to draw is that we need to, we need to get to a point where we can live out a relationship rather than a religion and ditch the dead religion, but we can't do it on our own, especially if you're somebody who is, you know, maybe results-oriented and it's easy to just, you, you want to check every box that there is. If you try to do it on your own, you're not going to be able to do it fully. You're not going to be able to be fully invested. It's only something that Christ can do in us. And I believe that's where the concept of spirit and truth comes in, where we have the truth, which is like, you know, what, what actually happens. That's our actions. The spirit is God's spirit working in us to almost to give us the heart to do it because I don't think Amen. we can change our hearts without him. Amen. And so I want to draw this verse as kind of our, our actionable point for this. It's Psalm 19.14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I want to challenge you, if you're in that position where you're going through the motions, to pray this prayer. May the words of my heart, or sorry, may the words of my mouth, which would be your actions, you know, what you actually do, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Meditation of my heart being, you know, what, what your actual intentions are, you know, what's going on underneath the surface. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So that's our third point, ditching dead religion. You know, thanks, Max. Some, some of you may be thinking, okay, this idea, I'm an introvert. I can't do this. I can't have dangerous conversations. I, I don't know how I would detour to someone and have a deliberate, you know, encounter with them. That's not me. Here's the deal. Who's to, who's to assume that Jesus was a total extrovert? I mean, talk about a people magnet. Who's to assume that in his own personality, you know, sketch, that he was just people, people, people? I doubt it. 
He was probably somewhere in the middle. And so I don't think introversion is an excuse. Some may say, honestly today, um, I don't have a race, sexist, or same issue, or shame issue when it comes to others. I think we need to ask ourselves, are we sure? I think all of us in the last probably two or three years have asked the question, hey, is there, is there anything in me? And I, I think what you do is you pray the, the prayer of David, God, search in me, and let me know if there's anything in my heart that's not reflective of Jesus' heart as it relates to racism, sexism, and shaming others instead of protecting them. And then some of you may, might say here today, hey, I'm, I'm back at that that." sectional game against Casa Roble, we're losing the game, and uh, I'm just happy that the season's over. I'm dead spiritually. I'm dead spiritually. And if you're feeling that way, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. One is to confess it. Just say, Jesus, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm just, there's no life here. And also, I want to challenge you to start deliberately doing something a little different, serving. Start serving the marginalized. But doing it in a way where you're not just intent, you're, you're intentionally going to the Samaria of your life, your community, your route. But don't just go there. Move your margins. Move your margins. Open your margins to your neighbors, your coworkers, the people in your in your commute. If you take uh, the the bus at, on school, move your margins. Um, you have such opportunity, especially to the, the students, the college students, the young adults in your, to have influence with people that are, that are your age. Kind of interaction, this conversation, this dangerous conversation, this deliberate detour, he said, his food, people are my food. This is what I do. This is what God sent me to do. And think about this. Jesus modeled the most incredible detour on the planet. At age 30, when you're 30 and you're single, and your father says, I want you to give your life on a Roman cross as a substitutionary death for all the sins of mankind so that those who believe in you won't perish but have everlasting life. That is not the $30 deal, excuse me, the 30-year deal. But he willingly, in his own human nature, took that detour and said, I'll do it. I'll do it for you, Father. Not my will, but your will be done. He took that detour and was willing to break racist, sexist, and shame barriers to the point of spreading out his hands on a Roman cross and allowing himself to be nailed. That's modeling a detour. And he did it so that we would have pure, that cares for people, that loves orphans, that has pure speech, pure and undefiled religion, that cares for people and moves the margins. Let me tell you, that woman showed up at Jacob's well to get water. Jesus knew she'd be there. He showed up with, for her so she could meet him. And if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, I'm telling you, you showed up maybe just to get a pork slider. You're here because Jesus wants you to know him, and he wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you a relationship that will give you courage, a relationship that will give you discipline and make you feel loved. You'll not only love God, you'll not only love your neighbors, you'll love yourself. He wants you to have that. I want you to have that. Final question is, is there someone in your life you need to move the margins for and have a dangerous conversation, practicing high EQ? Is there someone in your life you need to break a barrier towards? Who is it? Let's do it this week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus' example of deliberate detours, dangerous conversations, and, and resurrecting faith in God.
to not be religious, but to being about a relationship. If you're here today and God is bringing someone to mind that you need to move the margins towards, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Someone, God's saying, yeah, you need to move the margins for somebody. You know who it is. Raise your hand. If you're here, I want to pray for you. Father, would you show us who it is that you're prompting us to move margins to include so there are no barriers? Would you create a divine encounter for us? And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus personally and his desire to have a relationship with you, and you're ready, right from where you're seated, I just want you to pray the prayer of this woman. Jesus, give me living water. Jesus, give me living water. If that's your prayer for the first time, I want to acknowledge your decision anonymously. Would you just slip your hand up? I want to celebrate it. Anyone today say, yeah, Jesus, for the first time, give me living water. I want it. Anyone? I'll give you another second. Anyone say, Jesus, today, I want living water. I want this life that's truly life. Father, thank you for this special day. Please bless our fathers. Thank you for the hard work they do. Give them energy. Protect them from losing heart. Give them a special blessing of peace and joy and and your character today. In Jesus' name, amen.